Hi, everyone. This is Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Trinity Health of New England. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. This is a program that we were going to run last week, but due to some scheduling conflicts, WATR was gracious enough to let us have a night. Um, that's not our normal night, but it is a Wednesday, so hopefully that you're tuned in to Medically Speaking. We are um, going to do a program tonight um, about a program that we have um, in our system. It is our weight management slash bariatric program um, for Trinity Health of New England. And I have our weight management bariatric expert on the phone with me, um, Dr. Shadi Macaroon, who is the regional director of weight management program and bariatric surgery with Trinity Health of New England. Hi, Doc. Hi, Robin. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. We tried to do this before, so we're going to try it again. The last time we had you on, we had a power outage at WATR. Correct. So we are going to try to do this tonight. Um, We want to focus on the bariatric, and we're we're focusing more now on weight management, as we call it, weight management slash bariatric program regionally. But what I want the audience to know is a little bit about you first before we start. So you've been, how long have you been with St. Mary's and Trinity? I've been practicing at St. Mary's for almost 13 years as an attending, but I did part of my residency at St. Mary's before I went for fellowship and for training in minimally invasive and uh, weight loss surgery. Uh, and the Trinity, as we know, since Trinity took over, I, we continued from St. Mary's to Trinity. Right. And you and I now have at least known each other for the last eight years now that I've been back at St. Mary's. So it's been an incredible relationship and I've learned so much from you. And, you know, when you're when you were looking to do um, to become a surgeon, what interested you in bariatrics and weight management? Why did you go down that road? Yeah. So um, weight loss surgery by itself has never been like a like it used to be for a certain level as a as a fellowship or as a training by itself, but it was mostly the minimally invasive part that intrigued me the most. So um, to dif- differentiate between minimally invasive and regular surgery, regular surgery usually is done through big incisions. There's a very high chance of infection. There's very high chance of uh, hernia. A lot of complications from using the knife or the scissors in direct contact with certain organs, especially the intestine. Mm. When we use minimally invasive surgeon, we use a small, tiny incision. We use what's called a trocar, which gives us access into the abdomen. And by filling the abdomen with gas, that will give us easy access and less chance of injuring any other structures. So we only focus on the organ that we are intended to do any surgery on. Mm. And uh, since bariatric surgery requires so much, you know, um, our our um, patients who are overweight, um, it will be very difficult for us to do any surgery open by going through the abdomen, by right. like, cutting through the knife, and by accessing certain spots, especially the stomach, which in certain air, a certain part is under the chest. When we do laparoscopic, it'd be much easier to access that site, and that's why you know bariatric surgery is part of the minimally invasive surgery, and that's and that's what intrigued me afterwards when I found out. How? What is the the extent of benefit that those patients um, achieve? Not just from the physical uh, changes that they right. go through, but also from the medical part right. when they lose diabetes, their high blood pressure, and all the rest of the medical conditions. So let's start the journey because you started this program under Dr. Aziz Ritchie. 
um, who's since retired with us over the last couple of years, who I know he was all of our mentors and, and we miss him dearly. But the program the two of you started together and how did it begin at St. Mary's because that was the hub of where this started and then we took the program to our sister hospitals as we became one to make it regional so what was your journey like at St. Mary's to get this program in place so Dr. Ritchie started doing bariatric surgery in 2004 that's when he went for part like a training he was still he wasn't attending so he didn't go for a formal training right but he went for a little bit more of you know education about weight loss surgery and the technique and the approaches i joined st mary's in 2008 and um, i was trained already so i just went under dr ritchie both of us we were able to create efficient or sufficient amount of patients and success rate that would, we could present those data to the um, American Society of Weight Loss Surgery, or what we call metabolic and bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. And when we took this data for them, you know, definitely they were impressed by our success, by our program, how we put everything together, how we approach the patient as, a, as somebody who needs help, who needs support, and all the support group that we created afterwards, and the follow-up visits, three months, six months, one year. Right. When we submit all this data, you know, like I said, it, it, it did really uh, make an impact. And that's when we got the accreditation. And that's why we are accredited as a center of excellence. Um, and then from there on, we kept the same uh, journey. We maintained the same level of uh, excellence and uh, success. And afterwards, we had Dr. Sherry join us. And the three of us were able to make the program bigger and better. But Dr. Ritchie, you know, at, his, at the end of his career, he decided to retire. He's still one of our mentors. He's still involved. Mm-hmm. We still call him for uh, assistance and support and education and, uh, and help. And he's still there for us. You know, I, I watched this program develop. Um, I was lucky enough to be there when you were all working together, putting it together. And the the organization that you speak of, the Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery Accreditation and Quality Improvement Program, is a huge deal. It's a huge deal, and there's a Correct. lot of effort and work that goes into it. And, and what's behind it is truly works to advance the safe, high-quality care for the bariatric surgical patient, right? Maintaining the accreditation so that when a patient comes to a center such as this, they know that you are achieving the highest level of quality and you're constantly looking at it because they have to come back and re-accredit you, correct? Correct. Yeah, usually programs run in either, like if if a program has certain issues, certain problems, they usually come and the American Society of Metabolic and Bariatric Surgery QIT, which is Quality Improvement Program, um, they come in to assess the program every year if they if they have an issue associated with them. I think we received our accreditation for three years, if I'm not mistaken, because we fulfilled everything. Wow! We show our level of you know care is up to the max. We see our patients ahead of time. We have a coordinator. We have a data analysis. We collect the data from every single patient that we operate on. We also follow the patients for as long as we can. Um, we usually give them follow-up. If they don't follow up, we call them, we send them letters, we ask them to come in. We try to maintain the best success rate that we can have, meaning we wanted our patients to lose the weight and right. to maintain that weight loss, not to gain it. And even if we have any, any, any issue, any problem, sometimes like a little dehydration or issues, we have to report this data. Wow. And we have showed that we are, we are way less than the national level of complications, dehydrations, any of those. 
and that's why we, they gave us the highest level of uh, of excellence if you want to consider it mm-hmm. and that's why we 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 get the review every two to three years we don't have to do it every year right um you know, because we continue at the same level and we share all this information, you know, now with the help of the Internet, they can see everything that we have. So you mentioned um, your team. So let's start with your coordinator. So I know that you have uh, an incredible nurse coordinator, Shauna Fonti, who um, has been a nurse for a very long time in the greater Waterbury area. I actually met her when she worked with a general surgeon here in Waterbury, Dr. Rafat Tadros, who retired uh, many moons ago. So she's been um, with general surgery for many years. When you looked to put someone in this role, what is the what is the goal and the focus of Shauna's role? What does she do for the program day to day? Well, the first thing, the good thing that you mentioned, Shauna, the first thing that we did before we put anybody in this position, we want to make sure that we get somebody who cares. Mm-hmm. And Shauna, from everybody who knows her, is somebody who really care about the patient, who really care about the program. She take it way beyond what we ask her to, you know, to follow up on the patient and take care of this. But definitely, this program needs a nurse who's aware of all the the medical conditions, the success, the if, if, if the patient had an issue afterwards, how she can address it, problem with vitamins, problem with blood work, all of this should be addressed. So it should be a nurse. In addition to being a nurse, she definitely has to be educated about all the requirements that the ASMBSQIP asks for, you know, whether it is, you know, continuing education, uh, knowing about uh, certain new, new techniques, new treatments, uh, uh, you know, the ins and outs of the surgery. So that was our main thing, and Shauna is a great fit for our program. When you, when a, when you look, when a patient looks to go in this direction of really being committed to weight loss, and we call it our weight management program, and we call it that versus a bariatric surgery program because bariatric surgery is just one portion of it, correct? Correct. So, so as we, go ahead. I'll, yeah. I'll let you continue. No, no, no. I'll, let's let's wait for the question. So, let's so, question. so basically, I would say that when a patient when a patient comes or a patient attends one of your seminars, which I'm going to allude to in a minute. What is the next step when the patient says, this may be for me? What happens? Yeah, so usually what, what, what we try to urge our patient is to go on our website and mm-hmm. try to attend one of the virtual. And prior to COVID, prior to the pandemic, we used to do in-person information sessions where we would be there in front of the patient, we'll present our, uh, uh, what we do, uh, uh, who we are, what's the pro- what the program is all about, whether it's medical or surgical weight loss. Um, and then afterwards, we, you know, we ask the patient to call for the surgeon. Or right now, they can call one number, which is 1-800-Y, letter Y, wait. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, they, they can register or they can request to be seen by a physician. They usually get called by, uh, by Shauna most of the time because Shauna, as you said, as you alluded uh, initially, she is also the lead nurse for the three programs. And the three programs meaning all Trinity three programs, Mercy, St. Francis, and St. Mary's. And she will decide based on patient requests if they want to be seen in a certain area, or she will send them to the closest to their, um, you know, uh, work, to their home, right. to be seen by a physician who's part of the team. And then from there on, the, 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 the journey goes on. So we are not just a weight loss or surgical weight loss. So that's why patients will think, oh, I'm going to go to this uh, physician, and all we're going to talk about is surgery. On the contrary, usually we look at the patient as a whole. We try to find out whether 
uh, they will benefit from uh, maybe dietary evaluation or dietary follow-up. They might, eva- they might benefit from psychological evaluation. Some patients will have issues with emotional eating. Mm. So we'll decide, or sometimes just medical weight loss. Some patients maybe ha- are not interested in the surgery. Some of them are. Uh, they want to try weight management just by medication. So we try to, to, to see which, which category they fit in, and we try to direct them that way. Um, we have a great team of dietitians. We have a great uh, being private or part of Trinity uh, therapists or psychologists who will work with our patients to help them lose weight. We have a protocol that we follow for medical weight loss because we also consider ourselves a pediatrician or weight management physician. Um, we can prescribe medications. We can prescribe exercise. We can follow up on the patients to make sure that they're losing the weight. And if they are coming in for surgery, we can lead them that way. Or if they see that they failed in every single aspect we tried and surgery is the only, um, you know, outcome that they, they probably will be best at, then we try to lead them into surgery. We try to tell them what is, what is good and what's bad, what are the risks and what are the benefits, whether it is a good fit for them or it's not. And then we go from there. Um, it's not just what I'm trying to say that it's not just fit for surgery. Right. We are a whole program that we can address everything that our patients need. So I think what I want to do is I want to talk about some of the things that makes someone a candidate for mm-hmm. thinking about a weight loss surgery or and a program. Then I want to talk a little bit about the weight management piece. What are some of the medications, what they do, and how you monitor that. And then maybe talks about the different types of surgeries if a patient chooses to go that way. Mm-hmm. So let's start first with what makes you a candidate. Yes. So um, if, if it comes to us, any patient who is a little bit overweight, and if their weight is a contributing factor to their medical conditions, mm-hmm. whether it is diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea, any lung or heart or vascular problem, if it was for us, if the, if the weight is a source of that, we will address all this. However, unfortunately, the insurance company, you know, they try as much as possible to limit what we do. So they have put a, a specific criteria. So any patient who has a BMI, and BMI is body mass index. It is very difficult somehow to just describe it. I'm going to give a little example to describe it, but anybody can go on the Internet. They can put BMI, and they can, can calculate what's their own BMI. So BMI is body mass index. It's actually weight over height, meaning we take the height into account. Mm-hmm. To give an example, somebody who is 300 pounds and they're 7 feet, uh, 7 foot 2, let's say, like Shaquille O'Neal, they're actually normal weight to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. However, somebody who is 300 pounds but 4 foot 9 or 5 feet, they are considered morbidly obese. So to ta- you know, we're taking into account the height. Right. So uh, based on the insurance company, anybody who has a BMI above 40, just without any medical condition, is a candidate for weight loss surgery. Any patient who has a BMI between 35 and 40 is a candidate for a weight loss surgery if he has a comorbid condition. And the definition of comorbid condition meaning a medical problem that is related to weight. Like I said before, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, sleep apnea, those are the main four. So these are the criteria for somebody to be a candidate for surgery. Now, when someone has a comorbidity and they're coming to you, and if they do go down the option of, you know, after trying some medical weight loss management, if they do go down the road, they have to make sure their diabetes are somewhat controlled and their sleep apnea is addressed. You have to make sure they're a good candidate for surgery. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Like you said, we cannot go to surgery with any condition that might complicate the outcome. Right. So sleep apnea definitely, you know, will affect the patient from anesthesia standpoint. Diabetes will complicate by causing infection or any problem like that. So we make sure that everything is under control. So sleep apnea, they will have to get they will have to get a special machine that will help them in maintaining adequate oxygenation in their blood. Like uh, blood, diabetes, they will have to be under you know medication to control their blood sugar so they won't get any infection. High blood pressure, high cholesterol, for the same reason, we try to control them not to have any heart attack during the procedure. So all of these have to be under control. But the best part, which is the reason why I chose personally, and I, I, and I believe my partners too, they, they chose this for the same reason, is because the best part is when we do the surgery, the next day, all these medication, all the CPAP, everything wow. will be stopped. And most of the time, up to 90% of the time, we don't need them. We don't need to start them again. Right. Because when we lose the weight, and since the weight is the source of that problem, it will never come back. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I've seen, your, I've seen so many of your patients do so well. And, and it's, it's incredible to see them develop a whole new quality of life. Yes, yes. And that's, the, like I said, that's the most intriguing. That's the most amazing part of this uh, career. Absolutely. When someone comes in and you, you, know, you look at the weight management aspect and you talked about medications, can you explain to me a little bit how that works and what some of those are? Yes. Yeah, so, um, like I said, um, most of the time medications are effective in losing some of the weight. So um, if somebody comes in with a significant BMI, as we said before, starting the medication might be a little bit difficult to control or to help them lose 100, 120 pounds, mm-hmm. let's say, as an example. But they might be effective in losing 20, 30, 40 pounds. So if somebody comes in with a little bit overweight, medications are a great option. Somebody who comes in who had the surgery done somewhere else, who had the surgery done with us, struggling with losing more weight or they have gained weight the medication will be a great option these medication will work through multiple ways and uh, you know most of the time it's a problem that certain patients have whether it is a increased appetite less exercise so these medication will trigger or will improve some of these so some of these medication one of them which is the most famous probably everybody will know about it which is fentanyl fentanyl has to be, used to be the, the the gold standard if you want to say for weight loss um, essentially, fentanyl works three ways. It helps in suppressing appetite, increasing thirst, and increasing metabolism. Huh. And by doing all these three, we'll have to lose a significant amount of weight. I have patients who were so successful with fentanyl. They lost a significant amount of weight, and then we have just to monitor afterwards. Some patients you know, respond a little bit, and then when, you know, when they have a little bit of a, less of a response, then we start to combine medication. We can add Topamax or Topiramate with it. And those together will work together in suppressing more the appetite and increasing more the metabolism. On the other hand, we have new medications. Probably everybody will know about. There was like a huge uh, advertisement about them. Those are what we call the GLP-1 receptor agonists, which are medication. Essentially, they are injections. And those injections back in the day, they used to be only for diabetes. Huh. Example of them are Ozempic or Saxenda. And now we have Wagovi. Um, those medications help increasing insulin in the body, and by increasing insulin, they will they will help in you know getting rid of the glucose or the sugars in the system, and at the same time, they will suppress appetite to a certain extent. Um, those three medications are usually injectable. The only problem that we're having right now with them is they are a little bit expensive, and not every insurance company is covering them. Hopefully, we're going uh, through the state representatives that 
soon, everything will be covered by the insurance company and we can use them on all of on every single patient. So you with the program you also work hand in hand with dietitians and I know that's a huge part to the success, especially if a patient is doing the medications, because they need to develop good habits. Yes, absolutely. Every single, uh, you know, our dietitians are at the basis of our program, um, and they see our patients notice that not just through our dietitian, but ourselves, we try to uh, stress the fact that eating healthy is so important. And eating healthy, there's always the healthy pyramid of eating. There is, at the bottom, the food that we have to eat a lot of. And at the top, the food that we had, we have to eat the, the least amount of. And by maintaining a healthy way of eating, it's the most important thing. And our dietitian tried to lay, relay that message. Um, in addition, which we found out is very important in, in bariatric patients, the fact that we have to eat three meals a day. Anytime we try to snack, anytime we try to keep on picking or eating, that will put us at a higher chance of not losing weight or gaining the weight. Mm. And it's so hard in today's lifestyle. It is so hard because we are always on the run, right? Everybody's Correct. like running from, I, I know myself, yesterday I was running from Torrington to Waterbury, then back out to Hartford, and you're driving around in your car, and you have, I tell everybody, I have to have a bag in my car with healthy everything. Otherwise, I'll stop somewhere. Yes, absolutely. And even although, you know, somehow to a certain extent, the fact that we live this life, that we're always at a move, and it's always known that the Western life is an active life, and you know we've always moved. That's why you know um, uh, fast food became so famous and so important. But also those you know keeping a bag of nuts and peanuts and cashews and stuff like that. Yeah. Although to a certain extent it's healthy, but in 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 bariatric in weight management. It is not that healthy because we are relying on small meals. Mm. And uh, and one message I'd like to say before I go to this part, I just want to say, which is very important here, um, morbid obesity is not a lifestyle. Mm. A lot of people used to think back in the day that morbid obesity is a lifestyle, meaning because you eat, you gain the weight. Morbid obesity is a disease. So now when primary care physicians do a physical exam and when they put patients have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, morbid obesity has to go under them as a disease. And this disease, unfortunately, does not respond to multiple small meals. The minute that we start picking and eating and um, doing on, on the run a, a handful of uh, cashews or a handful of peanuts, actually we're, we're not benefiting. We're actually gaining weight because that's how the morbid obesity works. It works. It, it, all these small you know, meals is only fueling the disease. So how so how does it how what is someone that's morbidly morbidly obese or has a trend tendency to be so how should they be eating? They should be eating as much as possible three meals a day, three healthy meals a day, hmm. and um, and try to rely more on fluid. It's very important. You know, I can say most of my patients have constipation, and the minute that we don't eat, we don't drink enough, which I cannot stress how much it is. I have to drink myself. I have to like talking about myself. I, I notice that if I don't drink enough, I will be tired, I'll gain some weight. So drinking is the main part that has to be between meals. So picking on food is not, that imp- is not, impo- is not, is not good at all. I'm not going to say it's not important. And eating before going to bed, eating between lunch and dinner, eating after, between breakfast, all these quick meals are not that good. So three healthy meals are the most important thing. It's so true. I know so many people are saying, oh, I never had breakfast, and then they 
have something at 12 o'clock and then they feel like the snack they had really wasn't their lunch. So they eat again at three and then when they come home, they're starving because they never really had a meal. Correct. Yeah, as a, as a pediatrician, there's a lot of factors. And when my patients come to my office and talk to them about all of the things, I usually stress and show them how the hormones work. At the top of our stomach, at the greater, at the, at the top part, which we call it the cardio of the stomach, there is a center that we call it satiety center. Hmm. And this center secretes hormones. Two hormones, one is called leptin and the ghrelin. Ghrelin is a very important hormone. This hormone is the one that goes to the brain and stimulate the hunger in the brain. <laughs> the minute that we don't eat, let's say breakfast, or we skip lunch, or we, whatever, we skip something, and, and by the time we're ready to eat our meal, which I'm talking about experience with myself and some of my patients, <laughs> that ghrelin will keep on going, increasing in our system, that by the time we're ready to eat, we, we eat and eat and eat, and we don't know when to stop. <laughs> and when this happens, you know, all my patients, especially bariatric patients who had the sleeve done, they end up having problems because they start having heartburn, they start gaining weight, because that hormone is so significant, so high in our system, and that's what triggers us eating more and gaining more weight. Wow, that's super interesting. I never knew that, Doc. I believe it. you've yeah. taught me something. That's super yeah. interesting. Yes, and it's, you know, I think it's so true, though. I think we, people don't know when they're satisfied anymore. Correct. Correct. And that's the problem. And like I said, it's, I'm talking about experience. It happens with me. Sometimes right. I'm up the time, and by the time I need to eat, right. I don't know when to stop. And when I'm ready to stop, it's too late. I feel uncomfortable. I feel pain. And I notice that afterwards I gain some weight. So right. It's, and it's and is there a, do you see a lot of stress eating, too, with some of your absolutely, patients? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why our psychiatrists, our, mm. uh, you know, behavioral health uh, providers, they stress that part. They try to manage that part before we go to uh, to weight loss surgery, because if it is going to be a fact, it, it will it will complicate our procedure. It will make patients gain weight. Right. It will you know won't get a good success. And like we said, we pride ourselves in the level of success. So we try to address all this and take care of it before we go for surgery. Right, because the patient needs to develop those good habits and understand the journey before they actually go to have the surgery because once the surgery is done everything they did beforehand or started to do has to come into play correct the surgery correct. is not the quick fix right correct, correct. the surgery is going to make a small anatomical change in the body it's going to prevent us from going back to the old habits it's going to prevent us from eating the huge meal and the, let's say a full subway sandwich so it's going to make the change that will make us to eat you know portion of that sandwich but at the same time, we have to understand the habits. We cannot eat every hour. We cannot eat every half an hour. We cannot eat until we, you know, until we feel that we cannot put anything in our stomach anymore. So all these habits have to be addressed. All this emotional eating has to be taken care of. And then we go for surgery. And then they have to continue those good habits afterwards. And that's why our follow-up, seeing them every three months or six months or yearly afterwards, is for us to remind them about their journey, how they, what they went through, um, how much how much did they put into this to reach the success that they reach in and they have to maintain it for as long as they can all of this you address in your seminars then and we'll we'll reflect on those at the end of the program because i think it's important for people to know how to get on the website to do that but i'd like to focus now on the types of surgery 
that you do and and why you choose one or what's appropriate for one over another. So let's talk a little bit about what you what you do and what is in your toolbox for surgery for patients. Correct. There are there are, you know, a lot of people don't know, but there are almost six or seven types of weight loss surgery. And I can take it from the simplest one all the way to the most complicated or the most advanced uh, procedures. Back in the day, we used to have the balloon that we used to put inside the stomach that helped to, uh, the patients to eat less and at the same time suppress their appetite. We stopped using it because we found out that there is more, more complication, if you want to say, and stress on the patient more than, an, more than a benefit. Hmm. Now some of the patients usually go uh, overseas, have the procedure, and come back here for us to manage it, um, and we do. Then we have, then we start having the lab band. The lab band was successful for a while, but then we found out on the long run it is not as successful and not as uh, efficient um, because only 30% of the patients were able to lose all the weight that we expect them to lose. And not only that, in the long run, most of them ended up gaining the weight back. And that's why more and more, although I still have a lot of patients who had lab band and we're still addressing them, we're still adjusting them, we're still make, taking care of them. But more of my patients are coming back, and we and other patients, other physicians patients are coming back. We're ending up removing the band and switching them to a different surgery. So, what is uh, the lap band? Can you explain that a little bit? What that means? Yeah, the lap band is a silicone band. It looks like to give an example, it's like a wristwatch that we okay. put on the top of the stomach, and its function is to choke the stomach to help us to lose weight. And like I said, it used to be successful. It used to, well not to be used to be successful. It used to be one of the procedures that everybody used to love because of the fact that it is less invasive. And the minute that anybody doesn't want to take care, doesn't want to continue that route, we can go in and remove the band completely. But it was like putting the patient through uh, through a surgery and the complication of the surgery. And then afterwards, since there is no good success out of it, it got you know it was less and less used. And now we almost don't do the procedure anymore. Hmm. The most, the, the, the oldest surgery in the book, and that's when everything, you know, showed how good bariatric surgery is, is the gastric bypass. And the gastric bypass is essentially a surgery that requires operating on the stomach to make the stomach smaller, and then operating on the intestine to make, to cut the intestine and shorten it and move part of the intestine to connect to the stomach. And by doing that, the patient will be able to eat small meals, and at the same time will be absorbing less of what they eat. And that's how they use weight, lose the weight. And I think to this, to this moment, gastric bypass is by far the gold standard of weight loss surgery. This is the most successful procedure that is out there. Um, over the years, and actually in 2011, it was introduced after multiple studies, and I was involved in one of those studies. It was found that sleeve gastrectomy, which is going in and removing part of the stomach, and by removing part of the stomach, we remove that center of hunger that we spoke about, um, patients will be able to eat small meals, and by eating small meals and suppressing their hormone secretion, they will be able to lose weight. And the sleeve gastrectomy actually showed a, a, a really you know, important re- result. It was as good as the gastric bypass, and now we use it in hand-to-hand with the gastric bypass. They're both almost 99% successful, and uh, you know they're very effective. Um, also, we have a lot of surgeries. We have vertical band gastroplexies and a lot of surgeries that we, they, they got out of uh, you know use. We stopped using them because of the amount of complication and the least effectiveness of them. Um, now we have other procedures because pe- people know when somebody starts doing certain surgery, we start noticing the, the problem with them. We've done thousands and thousands of gastrectomies. We've done thousands and thousands of gastric bypass. And some of the patients come back to us 
um, whether it's our patients or somebody else's patients, with, they gain weight afterwards. Hmm. And when they gain weight afterwards, we start to look into a ways or a means to help them lose weight. Um, for example, if somebody comes in with sleeve, we can switch the sleeve to a gastric bypass and help them lose weight. Lose weight. Sometimes patients with a sleeve, if we know that they still have significant amount of weight, we can do what's called a duodenal switch or single anastomosis duodenal switch, which is a surgery that's also one of the new surgeries <clears throat> that will still help to eat less food, but at the same time suppress the amount of the amount of nutrients that the body will absorb. And it's also effective in uh, helping to lose weight. Um, we start doing more gastric bypass with prolonging the, the part of the intestine that we bypass, which is also help to lose weight. And the most important thing that we do in St. Mary's is endoscopic original, which instead of doing surgeries by, you know, cutting the stomach, making it smaller, doing anything, we can go with the help of the enzyme with a special device on the scope, just like if somebody is doing a, <coughs> excuse me, a colonoscopy or endoscopy. It has a special device on it. So you go in with the endoscopy, you said, right? Because we lost yes, you for a minute. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. I just thought. No, that's We go okay. with an endoscopy that has a device on top of it, and its function is to put stitches that we can make it to make either the gastric bypass stomach smaller or the actually sleeve smaller. So we have multiple ways that we can do that we can make the stomach smaller. So there's a, there's a huge variety of surgeries that we do out there. And usually we choose the surgery based on the, um, the patient need. But we are recently like one of, I think, one of the main centers that we do high amount of redo surgeries. <laughs> we see patients from all over the state with patients coming in um, after the sleeve, after the gastric bypass, and even after the duodenal switch that we go in and we revise their surgery and we help them to lose weight and, you know, go with them to the journey of losing more and being healthy again. So a lot of these procedures are done, as you said earlier, laparoscopically or robotically, correct? Perfect. Laparoscopic, robotic, and we, and we have also the endoscopic. And now you have the endoscopic. When, right after the patient has surgery, I, I know we developed an incredible suite of rooms upstairs for our bariatric patients on our surgical floor. What, what, how long does the patient stay and what can they expect, expect like those first couple of days after surgery? Most of our patients leave less than 24 hours from wow. the time that they come to the hospital. Um, we can actually send them home the same day, but we'd like to keep them overnight just to make sure that they are um, comfortable, have no pain, able to tolerate liquid with no problem. And then their journey starts to the first three weeks after surgery by staying on liquid diet because it, it was found to be the best time for them to lose as much weight as possible. Hmm. So our standard among our three hospitals, Mercy, St. Francis, and St. Mary's, um, we standardize our protocol so our patients stay overnight, go home the next day. Um, when they go home the next day, they're on, on liquid diet for three weeks, and then afterwards they follow up with us. Anything that develop, anything, you know, that they, that they um, might have, there's a you know, a lot of staff members involved, whether it is Shauna, whether our coordinators and our staff members in the offices, that they can address any needs and any issues they might have. Um, but also you mentioned about our, our rooms. Yeah, we pride ourselves with our rooms that we have in, in St. Mary's. Uh, but also in Mercy and St. Francis, we have amazing floors specifically for our bariatric patients. We have an amazing group of nurses on our surgical floor and even on our medical floor that help, you know, they say that... Um, target their needs, the needs of the patients, you know, when they have to get up and start walking around, when we have to do the x-rays, 
when we have to make sure that they start on liquid diet, whether they are comfortable to leave. You know, most of our decisions that we make and the decisions to discharge the patient, we rely on our nurses who are right there next to our patients to tell us whether somebody is comfortable to go home or they have to stay one more day to make sure that they're comfortable before they go home. And that goes right back to that accreditation process because that's all part of it. Correct. Making sure that you have that support team in place um, for that patient after the surgery and what that looks like. Correct. Yes. Now, when a pa- you, you, you mentioned the patient's on full liquids. What does that mean? Uh, when our patients go home on mainly liquid, we try to call it bariatric liquid because full liquid has a different meaning. Right. But usually we put them on liquid diet for the first three weeks. And like I said, three weeks, is uh, we found out that it's the best time for us to lose as much weight as possible. And our patients will lose anywhere between 15 to 30 pounds sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, this means anything like, uh, you know, from water to crystal light to vitamin water. And in addition to that, which is the liquid, the clear liquid, they can have protein shakes because that's going to be the only source of, of protein, put it this way, or any, uh, the only source of calories that they can have over the first time. And with the protein shakes, they may, they'll be able to maintain their muscle mass without losing muscle mass. We want them to lose fat, fatty tissue, but we don't want them to lose muscle mass, and that's why we put them on protein shakes. And what happens after the three weeks? After three weeks, usually they follow up with us. We make Excuse sure that they have a good success. Mm-hmm. And usually that's the time that when we stop the protein shakes and we switch them to, to food. The first week after the liquid diet, they are on what's called soft diet. Um, anything up the consistency of a scrambled egg. We always stress, like I said um, originally, we always stress three meals a day, three healthy meals, and drinking as much as they can. The more you drink, the more weight they lose. The more they drink, the healthier they are. And after one week of soft diet, they can start regular food. They can eat anything they want. Three meals a day, three, to, three small meals. The healthy way of eating is eating very slow, chewing really good, um, spending time eating. Um, and then liquid, liquid, liquid. It's very important for the health, for losing more weight, and to be less constipated, like I said initially, too. And how did the, do you find that the patients are nervous to go back to food? You know, um, when they start eating again? I mean, I would think they'd be scared. Some some of them do. Like, oh, I don't know if I because I'm in the fluid and I'm feeling full just by the fluid and the protein shakes. And that's why the reason that we start soft diet first, and that's why we get them into the regular food. Um, uh, but most of the time, they actually, they're eager to just stop the protein shakes because they had enough of those one thing the past three weeks. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I know I've known a few people that have gone through the process and they said they had to learn how to eat again. Correct. You yeah. know, and learn how to cook again for their families. Correct. You know, being um, having certain way of eating initially, you know, cooking certain amount of food, you know, expecting to eat certain amount of food. Now everything going to change right. because before it was just, uh, let's say, educational part, telling them that you have to eat small meals, you have to chew that much. And the minute that they start eating, they have to put it in practice. They have to try it on their own. They have to eat small portions, uh, five to six bites. Uh, right. Not to exceed oh. that because they're going to have a problem. Yeah. And chewing really good. So that's why it's our part, in, and that's why we try. And that's why, like I said, we don't only have Shauna. We have Shauna. We have Chris. Uh, we have Julia. We have Jean. We have everybody that will call the patients afterwards and check and make sure. Are they eating? small portions? Are they chewing really good? Are they drinking a lot of fluids? So all of this has to be stressed. You know, 
it's so important for the patient to know they have this support system. And I know that this was definitely something at St. Mary's initially, you know, when it was when we were a small um, inner city hospital and it was just one of our star programs. And now that we're part of Trinity, you were identified to help lead the team to work with our sister hospitals and make a regional program. How how did you do that? And maybe just mention some of the um, physicians on the team. Yes. So, like I said initially, you know, we were we proud ourselves with what we do, and um, you know, I was selected to lead the program for our um, all three sister hospitals, and um, we do have. Um, we do have, we are a total of six physicians. Hopefully we're hoping to expand further. We're looking into expanding further. Uh, we have a Mercy Hospital physician. We have Dr. Fialo and Dr. Ogrodnik. Yep. <laughs> and Alexandra, who right, she just had her baby. She just had a baby. Yeah. Yes. Um, she's on a maternity leave. And then in, Mer- in San Francisco, we have Dr. Roberts and Dr. Bittner. Both of them lead the program in uh, San Francisco. And right here, there's myself and Dr. Sherry. Um, um, myself and Dr. Sherry and Dr. Bittner, usually we cover all two, both hospitals, San Francisco and St. Mary's. Unfortunately, we cannot cover um, Mercy in Massachusetts because of, uh, you know, accreditation and stuff like that. But we cover both hospitals and we all work together. We share as part of this regional system, we share all our experience, uh, we share all our success. Um, we try to um, uh, make a, 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 a one system, one practice among all of us, and we choose the best practice. And that's the most important thing. Right. So if I find out that Dr. Roberts or Dr. Bittner is doing something really good for the success and for the outcome of our patients to be comfortable, we try to use those system, same thing in uh, St. Mary's and Mercy same thing if we see Dr. Ogrodnik or Dr. Fialo doing something good in Mercy, we try to do that in St. Mary's. And same the way, same way um, across uh, between us and them. So recently, for an example, I'm going to give an example. We found out that if we can use certain medication prior to surgery, we can help our patients afterwards not to have any nausea and their pain level to be significantly less. We started this uh, approach across the board, and I cannot tell you, this is probably the best thing that we've ever done. Our patients are comfortable, they have no nausea, they're able to get up and walk around, they have almost no pain. So we pride, like I said, we always pride ourselves with the fact that we are regional and we share all our success and we've done great. You know, I can't speak enough about that. I'm involved in a lot of different um, service lines, as we call them, um, as a liaison, and I see it happening between cardiology, neurology, bariatric. There's so many different ways that we're looking at these regional programs and having a physician leader such as yourself leading the team it doesn't mean that you have the strongest voice it means that you're the one bringing everyone together for the success of the program and we everybody learning from each other it's happening at all levels i think it's one of the best things that's happened to medicine um is is bringing some systems together and having those sister systems partner Absolutely, absolutely. And like I said, best practice is the best. We're looking for the best practice for the patient. Right. It's just how we can bring in success and improvement and uh, 
and the benefit, like we said. And as you said, Shauna is your is your lead nurse, and I know she's working with the other coordinators in the other locations, and she guides them on what she learns from her program and brings it to them so that they could have successful programs at their sites. Correct, correct. And she's the one, too, who can answer to a question across all three sister hospitals mm-hmm. and decide, like I said initially, where would be the best place for a patient to go, the closest to go. And right now, I'd like to say this at the end, that, um, you know, with the, with the new pandemic, we're not only reached in person. Any of our patients needed to see us, even virtually, we can connect to them at all. So, like now I've seen, I, I've, I see patients all over Connecticut, you know, yeah. from, you know, from the border to the border. And patients don't have to come in in person. Maybe they have to come in when they have, when they have to do the surgery. They can see us uh, by video, by the computer, by the phone. Uh, we can go over all the surgeries. We can draw and sketch and show them what we do. We can introduce our staff. They can see our dietitian in, by virtual uh, means or by audio means. Right. They can see our psychiatrist the same way. And we can do everything without them having to travel to see us. And that, that's yeah. the best part, and that's the exciting part about it recently. It, it definitely is. I mean, if there's anything, you know, we've talked about this a few times with multiple physicians. If there's any positive that came out of the pandemic, it's definitely the use of telemedicine. Some people feel yay or nay about it, particularly I know some of our older population definitely likes that in person. But at least you have that choice available to you on a busy lifestyle, and you have the insurance company supporting it which it wasn't in the past. So that's huge. Correct. Correct. And it makes it so much much easier. Like somebody, like you said, they still want to see a a physician in person. They still want to get the treatment that they want. But they probably heard about, you know, Dr. Let's Say Roberts, who is in San Francisco, who is in Hartford, and they they live in Stanford, but they don't want to have to go through the trip. All they have to do is just to connect to, to them, Definitely, you know, by certain appointments with Shauna will take care of it or one of his coordinators will take care of it and they can go over the surgery. They can, you can, we can hook them up with a dietitian, with a psychiatrist, with, um, with everything. And then we can get them ready for surgery. The only thing they have to do is drive to us, whether it is in St. Mary's, St. Francis or Mercy, have the surgery. And then even afterwards, the aftercare can be taken care of the same exact way. Do you trust them doing their weight, though, when they're reporting their weight to you? <laughs> uh, well, if we're going to trust them, uh, if they trust us, we, we have, have to, to trust them. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Well, we, we try our best to have a mutual relationship. And uh, some, of them, some of them, some of our patients actually will stand on the scale and show us the number. And some of them just uh, will call us ahead of time and will tell us the, uh, the actual weight. And we'll the go weight. from there. We try to get the best outcome for them. So if they don't share with us their weight and how much they lost, we don't know how to address their problem and their issues. You know, a couple things I wanted to ask you, but, you know, I don't I don't know if this matters to our listening audience or not, but what do you tend to see more? Do you tend to see more men or women, or is it just a mix? Um, I think more of our women population is more focused on... Mm-hmm. Um, on weight loss uh, could be the physical mean of it but um, we see because of the distribution of weight and the way you know men should carry their weight most of their weight is in the center portion right uh, like around their waist um, however our you know our women population has more their weight in their legs in mm. their arms in their chest 
that will affect them in a different way. I think that's a different different mm-hmm. way of approaching them. I can right. say from, you know, to give an example, my, my, my uncle's a little bit overweight. And every single time I tell them, you have to consider because your BMI is significant. They say, I'm not overweight. <laughs> but actually they are because all their weight is around their waist and their, and their abdomen. So I think that's the main factor. Mm. But we see significant of both. But more of a woman, if you want to put it this way. When you do, and I didn't ask you this before, but I thought of it afterwards and I wanted to make sure I got it in. If someone does do the medications for weight management, is that something they're on for a, how long of a period of time? Is that, a, is that like a forever thing for them? Um, we try not to consider it forever. We try to address it or hope for it to be not forever because mm-hmm. those medications, if we example fentanyl if we give it for a long period of time first it doesn't work and second there's a lot of cardiac and other problems mm-hmm. associated with it right so we try to give it for only short period of time and hope that afterwards the patient will maintain the habits that they learned over that time that they were on it uh, but more and more we notice that it has it is something that we have to stay on for as long as possible because the minute that we stop the medication they go into rebound within three four five months most of the weight will be regained, and then we have to go on the medication again. But like I said, there are a lot of good success, a lot of success stories out there, but there are some like we have to go back and forth with the medication for multiple times. So I want to make sure that before I let you go, we tell the audience how to get to one of the uh, seminars that we do online. So if you go on Trinity Health of NE, Dot org. That's Trinity Health of N is a Nancy, E is an elephant. Dot org. You will be able to put in weight. I put in weight management, and it's really easy because the entire page comes up, and it'll give you a list of choices. And one is join our bariatric surgery seminar, and you can actually click on it and take a seminar online. And I know yourself and your colleagues rotate who do seminars, and some of these are live, which is incredible. Correct. Yeah, just like with telehealth, we can go in. Um, I think it's the, if I'm not mistaken, if you can correct me, I think we are the second Monday of each month. Correct. At, um, we have a seminar. So and if they don't want to go through there and register for a seminar online, they can view the seminar that's already like taped with some right. sketches and cartoons and they can see and know what we're talking about. Or we, they can attend one of our seminars that we do live by telehealth through their computer, through their phone. And usually we go over all the surgeries, all the approaches. Usually there are a few patients uh, involved with this uh, uh, seminar. Uh, we get, questions could be asked. And usually Shauna is on the other side. Just go to the questions and send them to us. And we can also address them as we are presenting the uh, the information the session. information and you know doing that virtually is incredible we're doing a lot more programs that way which is awesome we actually had an osteoporosis one um, about a month ago and we had 200 people attend so you know it's harder to manage with larger groups but we definitely get it done and I know that for Shauna when people register for these then she contacts the patients afterwards to see if there's any follow-up right correct Correct. We try to find out with them if they found, if they got the answers that they need. If not, we, they, we try to connect with them by phone, uh, by, you know, audiovisual, mm-hmm. by, uh, or in person. We can answer any of the questions they might have. And like I said, Shauna is the person to decide where would they be best at, what, where, which, any of the programs that we have. And no judgment, right? No judgment. Absolutely no judgment. We are... Uh, good thing that you said that um, 
I've noticed more and more that patients, whenever my patients come in, mostly post-op patients, when they come in for follow-up, they always think that I'm gonna, I'm not gonna be happy. I'm gonna be mad. I'm gonna be upset that they didn't lose enough weight or they gained weight. And I always tell them, we are not, we're not here to judge anyone. You know, we are here to help them. We are here to support them. We are here to show them what's the best outcome. So I try. I'm always positive, whether gained weight or lost weight. And my main, my main focus is to try to find a mean for the problem uh, or uh, address the issue that's causing the problem and help to lose weight. So definitely no judgment. No, and that's a good note for us to to thank you for joining us tonight. Doc, you're amazing at everything you do. So Dr. Shadi McEwen, who is our regional director of our weight management um, bariatric program, he is at 590 Middlebury Road in Middlebury, and the phone number there is 203-709-3572. And again, you can definitely go on our website, trinityhealthofne.org, put in weight management, and the entire program will come up for you, plus the ability to join an online seminar and when the next one will be. So, Doc, thank you again so much for taking the time to be with us, and uh, I look forward to seeing you probably this week at some time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Have a great Always night. A thank thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So I want to thank everyone tonight for joining us. Um, you know, it's really important to take care of ourselves. And I know we keep hearing about this over and over, COVID pounds, COVID pounds. I'm hearing that all the time, you know, and sometimes, you know, in the winter, we were saying winter pounds. Well, we've had two years of COVID and two winters in between. So we have double COVID pounds plus winter pounds. And, you know, we're just not doing what we normally did before. And so, you know, if you're we're ever thinking about it in the past and you need some support and you're not sure if you're a candidate, I totally encourage you to go onto our website, trinityhealthofne.org. You have a team of physicians, nurse support that want to be there for you and want to help you and help you on this journey. You know, there's a lot of different fads out there. This isn't a fad. This is a lifestyle change and a lifetime of support. So go on trinityhealthofne.org. Learn more about Dr. Shadi Macaroon, Dr. Shohan Shetty, his partner, and our other colleagues um, out at St. Francis, Dr. Kurt Roberts, Dr. James Bittner, and then we have out in the Mercy Hospital, the Springfield Market, we have um, Dr. Fialo and Dr. Grodnick, an incredible team of six physicians, plus their coordinators, nurse coordinators, who are here to help you every step of the way. So I am excited um, to be able to offer this tonight. We will be back next week, because now instead of being two weeks away, I did two back-to-back. So I'll be here next week. Um, I believe it's February 9th, right, Johnny? We will be here, and we will be doing... um, couple of shows on cardiology um, because it is heart month so we will be focusing on our cardiology team so I look forward to being with you again in another week this is Robin Sills St. Mary's Hospital Trinity Health of New England have a great weekend